I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we're in the midst of a series these days on justice and what it looks like, what it means. We've taken a look at voices like the Torah and concepts like uh, the law of retaliation and jubilee. And uh, we've listened to the voice of the prophets and what justice looks like beyond just punishing wrongdoings. And where are we headed today? We are finally in the New Testament and we are going to listen to the voice of Jesus. A good voice to listen to. In particular... We're going to kind of narrow our focus down to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because that's basically he just taught us a lot about stuff, <laughs> including justice. So uh, fear not in case you've got a favorite thing Jesus has to say about justice elsewhere in the Gospels. We'll get there in another day. But today we're limiting ourselves to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah, because, I mean, really, we could spend, like, days and days and days upon the Sermon on the Mount and still, like, just barely scratch the surface. So uh, we're just going to spend some time here before we move on to other things that Jesus said and did that teach us about justice. Okay, and uh, for folks who don't speak church nerd, help us out on what, what do we mean when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount? Where do I find it? Uh, what, what's included there? So it's in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It starts off with the Beatitudes, the blessed are, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed... Um, and then it goes into a bunch of, you have heard it said, but I say to you mm-hmm. kind of statements. And this is where we really get a lot of Jesus' teachings on justice. Mm-hmm. Because all these you have heard it said are mostly laws from the Old Testament mm-hmm. that we've already talked about. Or at least alluded to yeah. in previous episodes. In fact, there are scholars who think that the way Matthew structures his gospel is intentionally meant to set up Jesus as sort of new and superior Moses. Because just like mm-hmm. you get five books that are attributed to being the five books of Moses, there are five big teaching blocks in Matthew's gospel. And this is the first of them. And Jesus delivers them up on top of a mountain, <clears throat> like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. And the reason that's noteworthy is when Luke, the gospel writer, gives a parallel set of teaching, uh, which is very much like this sermon, Luke says it's on a flat place. So either you have to imagine there's a place that is both a mountain and a plain, or you can go, Matthew's trying to make up, uh, to, to point up this sort of Moses connection to Jesus, and he's less interested in identifying what mountain or plain it was, but to say Jesus is like this this new this new Moses figure and because Moses is remembered as the giver of commandments and establisher of justice Jesus is going to weigh in on what justice really looks like right mm-hmm. and I think it's important to realize that you know throughout this is Jesus is saying you have heard it said but I say to you and I mean he comes right out even before getting into those in verse 17 of chapter 5 do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets I have come not to abolish but to fulfill them so while Jesus seems to sometimes contradict these laws of the Old Testament, what he's really doing is not contradicting them, but just fulfilling it and giving a truer sense of what the mm-hmm. meaning of that law was, rather than just like the, the standard reading an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, that makes sense. But it goes beyond that. Yeah, and I think you could see it almost like it's a sharpening. It's, yes. not, it's not like Jesus says, 
I came to get rid of the rules or I've kept to keep the rules, but to say Jesus actually sort of calls us something beyond mere rule following and bean counting, you know, like, because mm-hmm. the, the temptation anytime there's a rule that's written down is, does my external behavior technically fit, it, you know, like, but my heart doesn't have to be in it kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, like when my kids hit each other, which is a thing that happens with some regularity at our house, and then I have to step in and be the referee and say things like, not only that whatever injury has to be taken care of, but now you have to say, I'm sorry to your brother, I'm sorry to your sister. We have to have this conversation where it's not just saying I'm sorry in a rude voice too. Like, so I'm sorry, or I'm sorry I hit you. I'm sorry you're so you're so weak that my hitting hurt you. No, I'm sorry has to be a genuine I'm sorry. And we had this conversation not long ago where one of my children uh, had been particularly rude to another human being and I had to say no the problem right now is your rudeness and so that has to stop so I need you to say I'm sorry and the I'm sorry came out rude and it was like no this the rule is not just I'm sorry it's about something sharper it's about an actual change of attitude and heart and and I don't just say I'm sorry and being in a mean way or a rude way it's a change of attitude and so Jesus takes what were the commandments and kind of sharpens them beyond uh, I know the rule said this. I'm calling to something even deeper beyond just external action, but to interior attitude or character or things like that. Um, and then, like like you say, Erica, he actually calls out verses from the uh, Torah and will say, I have a new word to say on this subject. He's Jesus seems to be convinced he's not breaking the old rules, but the, he also seems to think he's got enough authority to give his take on what the law really means or what the commandment actually means. Now, in a way, this is Jesus just being a rabbi, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, any rabbi in the first century would have had their particular take on what the commandments meant. In fact, if I'm remembering right, in, like, first century parlance, often the sort of set of rabbinical interpretations was called that rabbi's yoke. And so, like, there might be some who were stricter, I believe the commandment means this, and others say, no, I think it means something slightly different. Um, and that, 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 it was common for rabbis to say, here's my take on what this commandment means. And so that's not new. But that Matthew really presents Jesus as somebody who sees himself as more than just a commentator, but someone who's like tapped into this is what it was really all about all along, right? So, for example, um, Jesus pulls out like the, a central verse about justice we've kind of talked about earlier, the, what's sometimes called the law of retaliation or the, the lex talionis, an eye for an eye. In Matthew five twenty one and following, he says, "You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, um, oh wait, that's uh, you'll you uh, you shall not murder." And then Jesus sharpens it and says. Even if you insult somebody, you are committing murder. And then he per- a little bit further on in verse 38, he gets to the, the uh, law of retaliation. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. Anyone who strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. So this is intense. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good word. Yeah, um, and especially is you know, um, looking at the cloak portion of it. I mean, the the cheek part. I mean, that's intense. You know, mm-hmm. like, if I get smacked, my first instinct is to smack somebody back. Like that's just mm-hmm. um, again ret- retaliation. But like this cloak part, um, you know, we talked in the last episode how how folks usually only had about like two sets of clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe mm-hmm. just one coat to keep them warm. So if somebody takes your coat. Now you're giving them another piece of clothing that, you know, mm-hmm. that's intense. It's yeah. not like today where, you know, I've got like three winter coats and four, yeah. you know, spring jackets and things that, you know, so somebody takes one, well, and then I'll just 
wear another one. Yeah. Um, you know, this is really giving of oneself mm -hmm. to another person, even though that they have treated you poorly. And, oh, go ahead. Uh, so the next part about the forcing somebody to walk a mile yeah. and go the second mm -hmm. also, um, I really like, I really like that part. Um, because that was a pretty common thing that Roman soldiers would make people do. To is, carry their stuff while they're yeah, walking. Yeah, yeah, So you like, you know, you're a Roman soldier. You're kind of tired of carrying your own pack. You see some guy walking down the street, possibly going in the opposite direction. You had full authority to stop that person and to make him carry your stuff, but only for a mile. Like, you're, the commanding officers were usually really strict about you could only make somebody carry your stuff for a mile. So if the person were to then, like, not give your stuff back and to go a second mile, you were actually potentially getting that soldier in trouble. <laughs> well, and actually, um, uh, I have read, this is a heavily indebted to Walter Wink here, and uh, I think he's the powers that be. And there's other theologians or scholars who've sort of gone in this direction that each of these isn't really doormat behavior. Sometimes this gets a, this gets mm -hmm. accused of, oh, so Jesus is saying it's okay for people to abuse their spouses or significant other, or uh, Jesus is saying you're allowed to just walk over people, or when somebody does, you should just let them do it. And uh, uh, Wink says something like, uh, and he breaks up each each of the three of these. Uh, there's the if someone strikes you on the right cheek, he, he notices that uh, the right cheek is significant. That Jesus mentions the right as opposed to the left. And in a culture where almost everybody is right-handed and everything is oriented toward right hand, if someone strikes you on the right cheek and they're using their right hand, they have to backhand you. In other words, it's a slap. It's not a punch. It's not like we're equals. It's I and in, I see myself as a superior and I slap you like meant to be an insult. And so Jesus saying, turn your left also is like saying back to them, oh, if you want to do that, you're going to have to treat me like an equal here. And that like blows that picture apart. It's not about let somebody walk all over you, but it's like, I won't play your game. I'm not going to punch back because now we're in it and now we're each going to say, he threw the first punch. But it's if you're going to try and treat me like I'm less than, I'm not going to let you do that. If you want to smack me, you got to treat. And now it forces them to humanize you. Um, and that that's really sort of at the radical root of what Jesus is doing. When somebody dehumanizes you, you don't respond by dehumanizing them back, mm -hmm. but you respond by saying, I refuse to accept those terms. I won't be treated as less than a person. Um, and I refuse to dehumanize you as my way of getting back at you. So it, it defuses things. It breaks the vicious cycle, but it also, it also sticks up for yourself in the sense of, I'm not letting you draw me in to play by your rules. So if you treat me like I'm just, you know, uh, below you, so you slap me like that, no, I'm not going to let you do that. If you want to you punch me, and then all of a sudden everybody's watching to see, oh, how, how, how will you treat this person you just you know, slapped as an insult? And if you do punch them back, you've sort of treated them uh, like an equal now. And to, like there's something radical about that. He also suggests, Wink says, that, um, uh, again, if, if somebody tries to take your coat, and again, in an era where you don't have many clothes, and you voluntarily offer more than what they've asked for, it's kind of got this sort of shaming sort of a, hold on, do you realize what you're doing? I've only got two sets of clothes. Really? You're going to mortgage me for my one, my cloak? Fine. Take it all. And it sort of forces the other person, again, treat you like a person um, rather than be all about getting as much profit or collateral or whatever as they can from you. And I think that's what the prophets were coming against, you know, mm -hmm. in, in all their doom and gloom and and talking about justice is that um, the upper class, the kings of Israel, 
were treating others as if they weren't human. Yeah. And so they're trying to get these folks to see others, the the widow, the orphan, the stranger, as human, yeah. just like they are. Right, right, right. And so even then with the walking an extra mile, if, if the Roman soldier comes up to me and makes me walk a mile, and I do just my mile, and then I give it back to him with a huff, and like, now you can't make me go any further, the Roman soldier still thinks I've done it out of fear. The Roman soldier still thinks I've done this because I'm afraid of what he will do to me yeah. otherwise. If I go further, it's like, I'm not doing this because you're making me. And all of a sudden, that, that calls into question the unquestionable authority of the empire, right? I mean, like, this is something we often forget, is that the New Testament and Jesus himself lives in the shadow of the empire. And that it's not that they're the powerful people running things. They're the ones on the bottom living with how do we live ruled by a foreign, pagan, arrogant empire that thinks it will last forever. And yet Jesus isn't saying, let's launch a war and kill them all. But Jesus does something subversive and trains his followers to be subversive as well. So you do what they say, but don't do it on their terms. And don't let them think you're doing it because they've made you afraid. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, um, the empire, it's, it's like all of a sudden you realize the emperor is wearing no clothes. And you sort of saying to the, the centurion, I'm not doing this because you've made me afraid. You haven't made me afraid. That's radical. So the second mile is almost civil disobedience. Well, in a way, yeah, in a, in a way, it's got an sure. edge of civil disobedience to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in a way, too, like, now that we've opened that can of worms, when Dr. King and the civil rights movement in the 60s would get jailed for things, mm-hmm. they understood that was a possible consequence and that what they were doing was breaking what the rule was. And they did it with this sense of, when they arrest us, we're not going to resist, we will go. And the hope was that would shame the powerful into realizing what absolute injustice or evil or wickedness mm-hmm. they'd become a part of. And that when other people saw, they'd be like, no, this is unacceptable, it can't stand. And in a sense, again, it's a, I refuse to be treated as less than a full human being, and I refuse to treat somebody else as less than a full human being made in the image of God. And if, if we're anywhere on the right ballpark, and like I, again, it's, it's hard to guess, get into Jesus' mind, but I think we're somewhere on the right track here. But if we're anywhere on the right ballpark... Part of what that means is this whole teaching of Jesus really goes back to where we started at the beginning of this series about justice is about right relationship all around with all other people. And Genesis 1 starts with all human beings made in the image of God. So that means I treat all human beings as made in the image of God. And I don't ever get to treat somebody like they are less than or only important because of the money they bring or only important because of the favors they can do or because of how they make me afraid. I treat all human beings as made in the infinite worth image of God. And that seems to make sense of this passage in a way that isn't just Jesus saying, be a doormat or telling abused spouses, you, sh- you need to stay there because I say so. That's not really what's going on here. It's a, when you, re- when you don't treat me like I'm a human being, I will sort of force you to see your behavior with the thought that it will shock you into the, oh, yeah, I have to either treat you like a person or own up that I'm being a terrible person here. Which that, for, for me, opens up all these other, you've heard it said, I say to you, like murder and, and hate, mm-hmm. you know, and just even that while you may not physically murder somebody, when you hate them, you're seeing them as less than a person yeah. or div- divorce. And, you know, how, again, this is giving rights to women in, in a sense. And in a, in a culture where they were treated as disposable. Yeah. You know, and so all these other adultery, you know, um, it's not just the act of adultery, but it's lusting after someone. Again, you're seeing them as an, an object, object versus a person. And so that just, this conversation helped me kind of open these up to a whole new level of, of understanding um, 
what Jesus means here. Is, yeah. Again, it comes down to seeing people as people and not as things. This is something that I think is really, really like this. This is a a, a big deal in, in my personal theological development too, because I kind of grew up for a while with the sense that the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus making all the rules impossible to keep, so that we'd see yeah. how much we need somebody so we can get into heaven. And again, like it was all through the lens of helping people to get to heaven. And it seems like that's not unrelated, but it's like this is about something even, in a sense, broader and more fundamental that goes all the way back to creation and God's original intent and all the way into the future and new creation. So it's not just about me individually, how do I get myself a spot in heaven, but how do I treat people as though they really are made in the infinitely beloved image of God, which is what God's intention was from the beginning and is what God's promises for the future and the new creation. And if that's true, yeah, then all these other things start to make sense in a new way, that I won't, be, I won't let myself be treated as less than a, a human being. But also, when somebody else does treat me wrongly or less than, I don't respond in kind by sinking to their level. I will treat them with kindness or treat them as in the image of God rather than perpetuate the cycle of violence. Um, it, it is uh, like a saying we have in our house that we um, borrowed from a former first lady of the country that when other people go low, we go high. Um, and like in a, in a way, that's at the core of what Jesus has to say. That like you don't let don't let your actions be determined by what somebody else does to you. So don't let somebody else's actions treating you as less than. Don't accept that you're less than. But also don't let it provoke you to treat somebody else like they are less than. Also, and it's about breaking the vicious cycle of tit for tat or eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And like we said way, way back when we talked about the the Torah's commandment of an eye for an eye, that wasn't meant to be a requirement you had to poke somebody's eye out. It was meant to place limits on how much yeah. vengeance you could take. We, we um, in, the, in the news recently, as we're recording, um, recently have had to live with some difficult tensions between um, the United States and Iran that... And the question of where does it stop, right? So one uh, Iranian uh, general is assassinated in a drone strike, and then the response is there's going to be 12 cruise missiles that come back. And all the nervousness on both sides about, is this going to count as enough revenge? Is this enough retaliation? Is this too much? Is the other side going to feel like they have to go back? So much of human history has been that you smack me, so I'll smack you back. And the first person goes, well, you smack me harder than I hit you, so now I'm going to hit you back another way. And... Most of human history, it seems, is us doing that either on the small scale or the big scale to each other. And Jesus offers a way for us to be set free from that, to, to, to break free from that by stopping that cycle. Yeah, justice in, in scripture is not about revenge. Yeah. It is about just that. It's about justice. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I forget where it is, but, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You I know? will, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, re- revenge and vengeance belongs to God. And so when we are able to say... You hit, you slapped me across the cheek, and I'm just going to walk away from that. I'm not going to allow you to, you know, and let God take care of it. We're, we're trusting that God's going to do just that. And I think we grew up in a culture, in a society where it is that back and forth that, you know, Mm-hmm. retaliation is just constant that we need to break the cycle somehow or we're never going to get out of it. And it becomes quickly a matter of pride rather than stopping future violence, yes. right? Where it's like, a, well, they insulted me by hitting me and I can't let that stand. Now it's about my ego. It's not really about restoring uh, um, an injury or, or helping mm-hmm. you know, someone get what was taken from them. And I think that's the, the other difficulty. I mean, like when Jesus speaks... There's no police force, at least no police force that's on the side of the actual people. There's the Roman Empire that's marching through, and they're there, you know, basically uh, to to line the empire's pockets. And to the extent that that means putting down riots, they will stop criminals and things like that. But they're not really interested in keeping the peace. They're, you know, stamping out uh, uh, 
riots or things like that. But because there's no police force around there, the temptation is when someone hurts you, it's personal revenge time. And geez, no, we're not going to do things that way. So in, in a way, there's a separate conversation about now we live in an era where we do have civilian police who are not uh, a foreign empire that is occupying our streets. And there's a, a place where if somebody... Um, you know, if somebody is dangerous and you know uh, shooting people in the in the street, it's appropriate to call the police so that they can stop them. Yeah. But now it's not about my revenge. It's not a, now. It's not about I have to get revenge because you've you know insulted my ego. We need to have people who are running through the streets shooting people stopped. I mean, there, there's now and and there's a sense again. It's about preventing harm rather than it's about my personal revenge. I'm wondering whether we need to spend at least a moment about uh, the beginning of chapter 7 in Matthew. Um, judge not so that you may, you may not be judged. Because here we are talking about ju- justice and, yeah, judgment is, is about that. And this sort of goes on your point earlier, Erica, about um, that God claims vengeance as God's sole prerogative. And so I may have um, the right to... to personally say like, oh, I, I, I don't think that's a good behavior or bad behavior, but my job is not to condemn somebody else. And that that forces me not to be the, the judge over somebody else. Um, how, do, how do we do that? And yet at the same time, make choices ourselves about what's good or bad behavior that we accept in our own lives, or our own families. I mean, there's always going to be some amount of, I guess, implicit judging on this, this is a good action or this is a bad action. What, what, what does that even mean? I always take this section to mean that I'm only in charge of myself. Oh, okay. That, you know, I might see my neighbor doing something that I disapprove of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could certainly have a conversation with my neighbor about that action, but ultimately I'm not in charge hmm. of my neighbor. I'm in charge of mm-hmm. my own self and I need to be more concerned with my own actions and yeah. thoughts and words, more so than my neighbor's actions, thoughts, and words. Yeah. And here I see accountability. And I think oftentimes when we hear that word, especially in today's society, we see it as judgment. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I think you pointed out very well, sir, you have the conversation with your neighbor that you, is doing something that you don't think is right. But what they decide to do then after that conversation is up to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's how I, I read this passage. That's how I, I think of accountability in general. Okay. as Especially with amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm talking about somebody who's outside of the faith, who, who doesn't hold the same standards um, that I do of what is right and wrong, that's a totally different story. But I think this is Jesus talking to people of faith about other people of faith. Mm-hmm. And so... When I see a brother or sister doing something that I think um, may be on the verge of immoral or is immoral, you know, I go and I tell them that. Again, what they do with that information, I can't control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at least I'm, you know, but then I have to realize that I do those kind of things too. Yeah. And also, to be clear, this is not like, oh, I just wit- my, witnessed my my neighbor beating somebody up or murdering somebody. No, I mean... Those are, like, right. clearly against yeah, U.S. I mean, law. Let's, like, involve the police maybe with that. But, like, you know, like, oh, I just saw my neighbor do something that isn't implicitly against the law, but bad. Maybe not the most moral thing to do. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And maybe, too, the, to, to make a connection point back to Jesus' uh, take on the law of retaliation. The, if, if somebody hurts you or uh, upsets you or something, and I refuse to 
punch them back, but like I turn the other cheek not in a way of like sort of forcing them to see like what they've done. Where if I walk that second mile, sort of almost like in an act of loving defiance of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there's that sort of impulse if you've been wronged in life that says, but aren't they going to get their punishment? Aren't they going to end? And there's a certain, like, ache for, isn't there going to be some kind of consequence? And Jesus' response, seeing in this judge, not, yes, let you be judged, but yes, there needs to be some kind of justice, but you don't be the one to take that into your own hands because now it's become vengeance, and now it's become revenge, and that never ends. That that cycle never ends. So, yeah, there will need to be justice. There will need to be consequences. And that's why, at least in the in the era or the time where we live, that's part of what the role of law enforcement is. So, to stop the murdering <laughs> and to stop the bank robbers and yeah that, that it's not that you're saying it's okay but to say it's not my job to take that into my own hands um and the part of what jesus concern is is how quickly um what i think of as justice sours into revenge and how revenge never there's never an end to that story it becomes this unending cycle that goes on and on mm-hmm. um okay um are there other things that you think we need to lift up about the Sermon on the Mount or what Jesus has to say about what justice says uh, or uh, how this, the Sermon on the Mount speaks to justice? This is where we get the golden rule, you know, that's also in chapter 7. And everything do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus yeah. seems to see what he's saying as like the distillation of all of what the law and the prophets had to say, right? Yep. And interestingly to me, like, Jesus treats the law and the prophets as sort of authority. Like, we're not playing ranking them, like, which is more important, but that we had talked before how in ancient first century Israel, you've got the Pharisees who have the Torah and the prophets they accept as authoritative. The Sadducees just take the Torah as authoritative, and that Jesus falls into the camp of treating the prophets as a voice that needs to be reckoned with. So, mm-hmm. not just justice is punishing criminals, but justice has to do with how we treat each other in social arrangements as well. So, um, there's, there's maybe more that could be said on other topics on the Sermon on the Mount, but at least as far as justice, we've sort of uh, centered where we need to be for today. But stay tuned next time, because when we get together again around the table, we'll be talking about other sayings of Jesus and what it has to say about what justice means for us in our daily lives. Thanks, everybody. See you. Bye.